Great. Today, we're in Genesis. Woohoo! Um, and uh, last week, we were in Genesis 1, and we were talking about... Um, we were talking about how Genesis 1, if you track the language, the pictures, the imagery, the patterns through the Bible, uh, you will discover that, that things start in Genesis 1, they're birthed there, and then they grow through the rest of the scriptures. And we find things, and as, we, as they start to bear fruit, we go, oh, this is kind of what this is about. And we discovered that Genesis 1 is actually setting up the very first temple on planet Earth, and it is planet Earth, and, and it is a place where God can be found and where human beings can be with him and a place where they can discover that he is sitting on the throne and that he rules and has authority. If we would come to him and bring things to him, then he would rule in our lives as well. And we, we talked about that, um, how it all starts by being with him. That was how God made it to be in the beginning, that we would be with him. And that's what Genesis 1 is all about. That's exciting, hey? That's how the Bible opens, that with a God who says, I want you to be with me. Oh, and I'm not just an anyone. No, I am the creator of the universe and I am on the throne no matter what you are going through, no matter where you are. That's how the Bible opens. What an incredible opening to what becomes an incredible book. Um, and that is the story that we're all invited into. Now today we're tracking a bit further through the Bible and we have got to uh, the story of Abraham there's so much we've missed out in between the two and I would love, I would love to, uh, to, to preach on every single chapter as we went through, but we'd probably need a whole year just for Genesis. So, um, but hey, um, we are, we're jumping through to, to, um, to Genesis 12 this morning and the story of Abram, who becomes known as Abraham. And just to say, if you have had questions, because there have been some weird things that have come up in this last week's readings, right? Yeah, the Nephilim and uh, well, all kinds of other stuff. Uh, if you've got questions, do pop them on a bit of paper and stick them in the black box, because it would be great to have some space to discuss some of this stuff on that last Tuesday. Uh, but we're going to be um, jumping into Genesis 12. Um, but before we do that, I want to just... I want to just share something that as I was pre preparing for this morning, I just felt like God laid this on my heart. And I think it might just be for one person here. It might be for more. But if it is for one person here, then it's worth saying. I think God just shared this with me. It's from the end of chapter 11. So in chapter 12, we get into the story of Abraham, where we're going to be in just a moment. But at the end of chapter 11, we get the account of a guy called Terah and his family line, or Terah and his family line. And Terah is Abram's father, okay? But he also has another son called Nehor and another son called Haran. And they live in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. And unfortunately, Terah's son, or Terah's son, uh, Haran, he dies um, in the land of, of Ur of the Chaldeans, the place where he was born. And what happens next is that Terah takes Abram and his nephew Lot um, and, and his family and he takes them on this journey and they're going to go on this journey all the way to a place called Canaan. Now if you're looking at a map your way okay so over this side we've got uh, the land of Ur the Chaldeans which is kind of like near the area where Babylon was kind of like modern day Iran Iraq that kind of thing okay and then over here we've got the land of Canaan which is modern day Israel, okay? Um, and so they're going on this journey from here to here. Only this is a lot of desert, right? So, so they kind of do this. And as they're traveling, they reach a city 
And this city is called Haran, and they stop in this city. And Terah, he never goes any further. He's supposed to be going to the land of Canaan, but he never leaves any further, never goes any further. And he stops there. And we read that he dies there. And then God says to Abram, his son, the next generation, hey, Abram, leave all of this and go to Canaan. I'm going to take you to this other land. And I'm going to give that as an inheritance to you. Now, what I find fascinating is this. Terah, it is possible and probable that he knew the Lord as well. Right, Because when, Abraham, when God speaks to Abraham, Abraham knows who he is and he trusts him. So it's probable and possible that his father also knew who the Lord was. And so it's probable and possible that, that the Lord had called Terah and his family to leave Ur and go to Canaan. But he gets to this city called Haran. Now that's interesting, isn't it? Because it's the same as the name of his son who died. He gets to this city and he never goes any further. He doesn't make it to the place that God was calling him to go. And I just, oh man, that story hit me. And I just felt like maybe there's someone here this morning. God wants to say to you this. I've called you to go somewhere. I've called you to do something in your life. I have put a call upon you. And you started. And then you got to this place where... Something reminded you of something that you'd already been through, a loss that you had already experienced, a tragedy that you had lived through. Something stopped you dead in your tracks and you lost sight of the call that I put upon your life. And I think that God's wanting to say to you this morning, I don't want you to be like Terah. I want you to make that journey. Someone here today started off following the Lord and you got to this place and and you got stopped dead in your tracks by something that happened to you in your life or something that reminded you of something that had happened before and you lost a little bit of faith, you lost a little bit of hope, you lost a little bit of vision and you stopped. But God is saying to you today, I don't want you to die there. I want you to get to the place that I am calling you. And so I just want to put that out there. And when we come to to worship a bit later, if that's you, if you feel like you started, maybe it was years ago, maybe it was just weeks ago, you started following the Lord and you got to a point and something caused you to lose a bit of hope. Something caused you to give up a little bit. Something in you died a little bit. Today, God is wanting to say to you, keep going. I'm still calling you to go to that place. That call is still upon your life. So if that is you, when we come to worship later, some of the the elders are going to be over here. I just want to invite you during worship, just go and just let them pray with you. Let them invite God's spirit into your life to wake up that call again. And and God's spirit is a spirit that comforts. His, His spirit can deal with our grief. His spirit can deal with our pain. His spirit changes our garments of of suffering into garments of joy. He gives us peace and hope. And so if you need that today, if you want to carry on this journey with the Lord and get to the promised place that he's taken you, come and have someone pray with you. Is that okay? I'm just going to put that out there. Um, Right. Now, on with it. (laughs) Um, So... Chapter 12. Last week we talked about being with him. This week we're going to talk about 
learning from him. Hey, so this is our vision, okay? Be with him, learn from him, become like him. But you can't become like him if you haven't learned from him, and you can't learn from him unless you have been with him. You see, we are called to be disciples. Christians are disciples of Jesus, and disciple, that the best modern English translation of the word disciple is the word apprentice, okay? We are apprentices of Jesus. We want to become like Jesus and do the things that he did, but apprenticeship, I trained as a teacher, a primary school teacher, and I can tell you that most modern teaching isn't like teaching used to be years ago. And in fact, apprenticeship isn't like normal teaching. And in your old school kind of normal teaching, we have what we call didactic teaching, okay, which is like this. It's where someone stands in front of you and just talks at you and tells you, this is it. This is how it works. This is what you need to remember. But apprenticeship doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. You see, apprenticeship works where you see the person you want to become like. You're like, yes, you get as close to them as you can. You spend all the time with them that you can and you start to learn from them by watching what they're doing and then by doing it yourself. Isn't that what Jesus did? He gathered around him the disciples and then he said, right, you've seen me do it. Now go, do it. Go, cast out the demons. Go, heal the sick. Go and tell people that the kingdom of God is at hand. And they do and they come back and they're like, oh my word. We went and this happened and this happened and this happened. And they started to learn that what Jesus said was true. You see what they learned? They started to learn that the way of Jesus brings life. You see what they learned? They started to learn that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the king of all creation. They learned. How did they learn? Not because he stood there and said, hey, let me tell you who I am, but because he said, did you see what I did? Now go and do it. And they did it and they learned who he was. Wow. And so discipleship is all about learning about who Jesus is and becoming like him by doing what he did. So I want to jump into this story of Abraham and um, see what we can learn about learning from God. Because I think that Abraham or Abram, as he's called at the start of this story, uh, is probably one of the first disciples, if you like. He's one of the first people that God says to come and follow me. Go, leave behind all that you... Do you see the same similar pattern when Jesus said to the disciples, leave all this behind? And they left their fathers and their fishing nets and they went to follow Jesus. And we see here, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's house to the land I will show you. Go and leave it all behind. Man, that must have been so hard, Right? to go and leave it all behind. Leave your country, your customs, your practices, your habits and what you're used to. You, you know, we like things the way we like things, don't we? The way we do things around here, that's how we like it. Leave all of that behind. Leave behind the things that you're used to, your habits and the things that you like. Leave your people, leave your support network. Trust in me, God is saying. Leave all this behind and learn who I am. I have a new way for you to live. I have a new way for you to be alive and I am trustworthy and you can trust me. Leave behind your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. And I love this. God calls. Okay, he calls, but he promises. Check out the next few verses. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless 
bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What a call and what a promise. If you leave all this behind, I'm telling you, Abraham, I'm telling you, there's so much more that I have for you. Some of you need to hear that today. God's saying, yeah, I I know that you like to do it that way. I know that that's your safety net. I know that that brings you comfort. But if only you'd stop putting your trust in that and you'd put your trust in me, you will discover life in all of its fullness. Leave all that behind and I will bless you. So what does Abraham do? Well, verse four, it looks like he gets off to a promising start, right? He says this, so Abraham went, way, he did it, okay? He went just as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. So did Abraham do just as the Lord told him? No, it's a lot of shaking heads going on. Why did he not? Because God said, leave it all behind. And who did he take with him? His, yeah, Lot. He took his nephew with him. Okay, he took his brother's son with him. What was it? Leave behind your family, your father's household. But he didn't. He t- so straight away, he fails. Anybody ever feel like that as a Christian? You don't need to put your hands up, but thank you for not leaving me on my own. Uh, like, like, literally, God's like, hey, Matt, I'm, I, I'm calling you to walk life with me. And I want to use you and I want to bless you. Maybe he's saying that to you as well. And you're like, yes, Lord, I'm in. I was 14 years old when I got baptized in this church. And I was all in. All in. At least I thought I was. Yeah. I wasn't so all in. And I took some things with me, some safety nets and some things that I like to hold on to. And, and, and things got a bit messy later on. And I'll talk a bit about that in a bit. But he, he screws it up, doesn't he? He fails. And we can do that. We're like, yes, Lord. Yes, I'm in. But yes, I'm in. But I will come and follow you. And, and here's the problem with that, right? Those things that we carry with us, they get in the way of God's blessing. They get in the way of God's blessing. Sometimes we've been walking as Christians for years and we're like, oh, God's good and I believe he's good, but I don't feel like I'm receiving his goodness. Like I've been walking through all of this stuff and where is he? Where's the hope? Where's the healing? Where's the forgiveness? Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Like where is this good God? And it's not that he's not there. Trust me, he's there and he's wanting to give it to you. But sometimes the problem is, is that our hands are already too full with all the things that we have brought with us that we didn't want to let go of, that we didn't want to let go of, that we didn't want to trust to him. And so we kept hold of it for ourselves. It gets in the way. And we're going to see how Lot gets in the way in a little bit. But let's carry on, okay? So he screwed up, but I love this. Um, we carry on reading and we get down to verse 7. Abraham and Lot, they carry on uh, journeying together towards the land of the Canaanites. And we get down to verse 7 and it says this. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So Abraham didn't get it quite right. And he took Lot with him and he screwed up. And he's pretty much like most of us, right? But man, how faithful is God? Because God still showed up in his mess. Even though he didn't do it properly, even though he didn't do it right, God was still there. And he was still holding out the promise. I'm still going to bless you. I still want to give you this land. I still want your offspring to become this great nation. Like I have not changed. 
are you going to trust me now? And Abraham does this thing that we do. When, you know, you get a prophetic word or someone prays for you or there's a moment and you read a scripture and you're like, wow, God, you're so good. And then Abraham, he builds an altar to the Lord. And maybe you build an altar. Maybe you rock up to church. You're like, yes, I want to worship God today because he's so good. Or maybe, I don't know, you start worshiping him over the washing up at home or I don't know how you build your altar, what you do, but you highlight in your Bible and you're like, thank you, God. And there's worship and there's praise and there's a grateful heart. And we're like, yes, Abraham's back on track. He's on track. He's starting to put his trust in God. <clears throat> but read verse 8. From there, he went on towards the, hill, uh, the hill, hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Now, If you go back, hopefully you might have spotted this, but if you go back through the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, <clears throat> we read the story of the fall, and they end up leaving the Garden of Eden. Anyone know which direction they leave the Garden of Eden? To the east. To the east. They leave Eden to the east. Okay, then we get to the next story where Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. And Cain, the younger brother, he, he, uh, the older brother, he murders Abel. Uh, and, then, and then God uh, kind of punishes Cain, but tells him still that he's going to be with him because he's faithful, right? But he punishes Cain. And then it says that Cain moved. Anyone know which direction he moved in? East. He moved east. Oh, okay. Right. We start to get this idea that east is a symbol, is a, is a picture in the scriptures. And whenever you see the word east mentioned, what is going on is this motion, this movement away from the presence of the Lord. Okay, we get to the Tower of Babel and the start of that story, chapter 11, it says, uh, it says this. Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech as people moved east east and then we get this tragic story about how they define tried to define um they try to i can't get my words out they try to uh come against what god has called them to do and they go against it and against the grain why because they're moving east away from the so you see this this motion east east means away from the lord so we think yeah abraham he's on it he's on it and he's built an altar and god is with him well let me just tell you um, when I was about 18, uh, I was going to Woodlands Church at the time, and I was leading worship uh, quite regularly, right? And I would get up to lead worship, and, um, and I, I'm not saying this because I think I'm a great worship leader. I'm saying this because I have a great God, all right? But I got up to lead worship, and I can tell you that so many times the presence of God just turned up in that place, and it was incredible. Uh, it was nothing to do with what I was doing, honestly. I was just trying to be open to what God was doing. And people would come up to me afterwards and say, Matt, wow, I love it when you lead worship. The spirit of God just moves in this place. And you think, yeah, Matt's built an altar and he's on it for the Lord and he's worshiping God. But what he didn't know and what lots of people didn't know is that behind the scenes, I was moving east. My whole life was turning upside down and I was tracking in other directions and I wasn't honoring the Lord with everything that I was doing. Why was God showing up? because that's his grace. Sometimes, guys, we come to church, we sing the songs, and we, we think that we're doing great. But actually, we need to take a look in the mirror, because we're probably not. And I want to ask you today, are you tracking east? Maybe you're here. Maybe you lifted your hands during worship today. Maybe you felt the presence of God. Well, that's great. That's because he is good. And that's his grace. But where's your heart? Where's your heart at? And is it heading east? <clears throat> So, you notice here it says that he went towards the east of Bethel. Bethel is a Hebrew word that means house, Beth. 
and El, God, house of God. Where is he? He is east of the house of God. He is east of the presence of the Lord. So he is not in the place where he should be, okay? Things are not great. And in that moment, we track down and we get down to verse 10 and we get to this other story where uh, there's a problem that comes in to the story. There is a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land. And so Abraham, he needs to find somewhere where he can get food, where he can eat, where he can kind of not die with this, this famine, this terrible problem that has come into the land. And so what does he do? Abraham went down to Egypt. Okay, now again, the whole Bible is so important because if you've been tracking the story, I mean, we know that in the future, it gets to Exodus and Egypt is not a good thing, right? But if you track backwards, it's already told us this. You see, because Egypt was the son of a guy called Ham and Ham was the son of a guy called Noah. And Ham did something detestable and something terrible with his father Noah or to his father Noah after they got off the ark. You read the story about how Noah comes off the ark and he plants this vineyard and then he gets crazy drunk. This is the righteous Noah. Okay, he gets crazy drunk and then he ends up naked in his tent and something happens and Ham is there and Ham goes around boasting and telling his, his brothers about his father's nakedness. And remember, um, we've come from a story where people were naked and felt no shame to a place where now they're covering up. And so you can see how suddenly now this language is telling us that something is uncomfortable here. Something's not good here. And Noah, he gets so angry that he curses Ham and his descendants. And so Ham has a son called Egypt, and Egypt is the place where uh, Abram goes. We already know in the story that Egypt is not, a, is not an anointed or blessed or good place. It is something that is against God. Some, it represents all of that. And he has gone there. Abram has turned to the world for help in this time of trouble. Do you see that? You see that? Abram goes, and um, the story's a really tragic, tragic story. He, he goes to Egypt, and on his way to Egypt, because he wants food, okay, he says to his wife Sarah, or Sarai at the time, he says to her, hey, you are beautiful. What an amazing thing to say to your wife. You are beautiful. But actually, do you know what? <laughs> the guys in Egypt, they're going to see that you're beautiful too. So when we get there, let's say that you're my sister and not my wife. Because if we say that you're my wife, they'll probably kill me and then they'll want to take you to be their own, and I'll end up dead. So what he's actually doing is saving his own skin, right? And he's putting his wife at risk. And that's exactly what happens. They get to Egypt, and it says that they saw that she was beautiful, and they told Pharaoh about her, and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has her brought in to uh, his palace, and he makes her his wife. She becomes one of his uh, concubines, if you like. She becomes one of his wives. Essentially, what the Bible is telling us is that, that the king of Egypt slept with Sarah. Another man's wife. Not good, guys. Not good. This is a tragic, tragic story. What's going on here? You know what's going on here? A couple of things. Abraham, or Abraham, he did not trust God's blessing, did he? Because God's blessing says that I will bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. What does that tell you? I'm not going to let you starve to death. He didn't trust God's blessing, God's provision. He also didn't trust God's promise of protection. Those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. 
He didn't trust the word of God. And how are we? We're so like that, aren't we? Something bad happens. Something difficult happens. Something challenging happens. And what do we do? Do we run back to the scriptures, to the word of God and say, I'm standing on your promise, Lord? I want to say, yes, I do that every time. Sometimes, but not always. Maybe you're like me. And maybe sometimes you end up running to the world. You end up running to the world's pattern, the world's way of dealing with it. And you forget the promises of God. That's what happens here. That's what happens here. You see, also, if you look down in verse 16, so Abraham, he, he trusts the world, right? He trusts Egypt and his uh, wife gets taken to Pharaoh. And it says that, uh, that Pharaoh treated Abraham well for her sake. And Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants. Wow. And isn't that the case so often with the way of the world? Do you not find that? Sometimes we trust in the world's way and we end up getting so much, don't we? People start to like me. I start to get money. This becomes easy. Someone offered to help me. This happened. I, like, I don't know. You, you take your pick. There's all kinds of things. But sometimes it seems that the way of the world, how can you say that's bad? Because look at all the good that's coming out of it. But the way, is the way it is. The world is attractive. We, we read in the scriptures that the enemy, that the Satan, okay, that the devil, he is a liar. He, he is, an, he is a, a, a demon masquerading as an angel of light. He knows how to trap us. He knows how to pull us in. He knows what to sparkle in front of you and you go, ooh, and you're off. He knows. And the way of the world is attractive and we get sucked in and we forget to trust the promises of God because that seems so much harder at times, doesn't it? So much harder. But he's forgetting. He's got this instant gratification, all this stuff. He is forgetting like we do the long term promises of God. I will be with you. I will bless you. Not in this moment, I am doing that, but I will do this and you will become a great nation and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's going to take some time. Are we willing to track with God on the long haul through the difficult things or do we give up and we run after the way of the world? So what happens next in verse 17 is this. You see, well, Abraham has been unfaithful to God. God cannot ever cease to be faithful to who he is. And so in, chapter, in verse 17, what we discover happening is this, is that God fulfills his promise. God says to Abraham, hey, anyone who blesses you, I will bless. And anyone who curses you, I will curse. Well, what's just happened? This guy, this powerful guy on the throne has just taken Abraham's wife. That's a curse. That's a snub. <laughs> That's not something that you want to happen to your wife if you truly love her. That is not a blessed marriage. And so what does God do? He steps in and he curses those who curse Abraham. And so suddenly we find that illness and disease break out in Pharaoh's palace. And Pharaoh's like, what have you done? You lied to me. You lied to me. And he sends him away. He sends him away because God is still faithful even when we are not. Okay, jump down to chapter 13. In chapter 13, uh, the story carries on. Abraham and Lot have, have left. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, someone's having their Bible read to them over there. I love that. <laughs> you not like my reading of it? No, I'm kidding. Hey. Um, yeah. Can you make the American be quiet? <laughs> 
Lovely. Right. Uh, so, um, so uh, Abram and Lot and his wife, they move on and they carry on from Egypt and they've got loads of wealth and all this kind of thing. But hey, check out where they are in verses three and four. Where are they? They've gone back to the place that Abram t- pitched his tent. Between Bethel and Ai, east of Bethel. They're still parking themselves just outside of God's presence. Do you ever do that? God's rescued you. He's set you free. He's done some stuff. But we still, we still carry some of that guilt and shame sometimes. Even though he says you're forgiven. Even though he calls you back and he says, hey, come and start again with me. We end up carrying some of that guilt and shame. And so we, we want to get near to God, but we pitch ourselves just east of him. But that's not how it works with God. He wants to call you back in, all the way back in. Why? Because he is faithful and he's made a promise. He's made a promise and he's not going to back down on it. He's got stuff for you. Blessing, grace, mercy. So don't pitch east of, uh, of Bethel. Pitch up in the house of the Lord, in his presence. I wonder if you're doing that. I want to encourage you not to do that. So we get down to verse five down to seven. And um, this is where we discover the long-term effects of chapter 12, verse four. Remember what happened in chapter 12, verse four? In chapter 12, verse four, uh, uh, Abraham is like, yes, Lord, I'm gonna go. Lot, please come with me. And so Lot comes with him, right? And that's not what God called him to do. Put your trust in me, he said. Don't take your safety net with you. But he took Lot with him. And by uh, chapter 13, verses five to seven, we discover that uh, Lot and Abram have acquired a lot of wealth and a lot of cattle. And their herdsmen are out with their cattle and quarreling breaks out between Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen. They start to argue with each other because the land that they're in at this point in time isn't big enough for all of their cattle. And their family starts to fall apart and arguments start to happen. You see, when we fail to put our trust in God, do you ever find you're like, oh, like maybe God called you to do something or maybe you read the scripture and you're like, I know that I need to do that. I know that I need to forgive that person. I know that, that I need to, to pray about this. I know that I need to surrender this. I know You've read the scripture and you know what God's saying to you, right? But you don't. And you wait and you're like, where's the lightning? And it never comes. And you're like, okay, I got away with that. I can keep hating that person. I can keep carrying that thing. I can keep doing that thing behind that person's back. I can keep secretly acting like this and no one will know that I'm doing it. I got away with it. It's okay. And you might think that you got away with it. (laughs) But trust me, you didn't. Because when we fail to trust God and we fail to walk in line with his word, it has long-term consequences. It has long-term consequences on our lives and the lives of the people around us. When we don't live the way of Jesus, other people end up being hurt because of our actions as well. Um, Let me just throw out, I'm just going to throw out two examples, okay? And um, these are just random examples. Uh, You could probably pick all kinds of different things. Um, And let me just preface this by saying, I'm not saying any of this to make anyone feel guilt or shame. I just want to be honest. This is a place where we can hopefully be honest with one another. We can hold up the scriptures and I can hold them up to my life and say, hey, maybe my life isn't quite right. And I want to journey that with you and you with me and so forth. So I'm just going to pull two examples out. Um, uh, One of them that I think is maybe quite... um, 
quite a big thing, I think, in the church today in general, because we live in a society that is very different to, to what it used to be. And the church is now trying to find its place there. And sometimes we can struggle to do that, right, and to remain relevant. And so we start to adapt our ways to the ways of the world. Yeah, that happens. You see that all the time. I know that happens here and I see that in other churches too. And one of those, one of those ways, I think, is with our relationships. And um, I don't know if anyone here is, is living like this, and so please don't, don't feel crushed by this. I'm not saying this to hurt anyone. Um, I just want to be honest about what I see in the scriptures, and I hopefully want to challenge us and, and see our lives become fully alive in Jesus. But one of those things in relationships is this. Um, I think that I would say that the Bible's heart generally, when it comes to relationships, okay, sexual relationships, marriage relationships, is that the Bible is quite clear, okay, that when you get married, you don't live together until you get married. Right? You don't cohabit before. You don't take someone for a test drive and figure out whether you're going to get on. That's not how marriage works. Marriage is a choice to, to commit to someone and love someone no matter what. Date by all means, but don't try each other out and sleep together first or don't, don't kind of move in with each other and see if we get on all right. Marriage is part of the journey of marriage is figuring that stuff out once you're committed to one another because you know that once you've committed to one another, hey, I might mess this up, but you've chosen to commit to me and so it's okay if I mess this up because we'll figure this out together. What a joy that is to know that someone is committed to you no matter what. Now, here's the thing, right? There are studies done okay, in and out of the church. And statistically, people that cohabit before they get married, uh, three things. One, they are less likely to end up actually getting married. Two, they are more likely to end up getting divorced. And three, when they don't get divorced, they are more likely to end up developing long-term trust issues in their relationship. That is, I can show you the research one day if you'd like to see it, come and speak to me, I can point you in the right direction. But statistically, that is true of, of people that choose to live together before they get married. Why is that? Well, because that's not how God designed marriage to be. And so when we trust how he calls us to live in relationship, we discover a different way of being and we discover something much better. But when we don't trust his way, it might look all right in the moment, but the long-term implication of that, it's not going to play out well. It's not going to play out well. Uh, another one is, is maybe with money. Um, the Bible calls us to be generous. It calls us to be a generous people. I wonder how generous you are with your money. Okay. And hear me, you don't have to have lots of money to be generous with it. All right. You can have a little or a lot. All right. But the Bible calls us to, to be like Jesus and to be generous of heart. Okay. And to be joyful with our generosity. Now, People who don't trust the way that God calls us to operate with our money often will end up uh, becoming quite anxious about money or quite controlling over money. And it can change your character. It starts off just about money, but slowly it becomes what you're like with everything in life. And you become a controlling person, maybe an angry person. Maybe you're quite reluctant in things. And it doesn't just need to be money. You could be generous with your time or with your gifts or with your hospitality. Whatever God has given you, are you a generous person or not? Because if we choose to trust him and live his way, we will see fruit and life. But if we don't, if we don't, that will have an impact on us and the people around us. And so Abraham didn't trust God and the long-term effects of that were crazy and his family fell apart and it got to a point where him and Lot had to split up and go in different directions. Let me say this to you, the word of God is not a bunch of rules and chains. 
It's a bunch of promises and blessings for those who would choose to live by it. For those who would choose to live by it. How do we learn who he is? By doing what he says. By doing what he says. How do I learn that he's trustworthy? By stepping out and trusting him in the way that he calls me to live. How do I learn that he loves me no matter what? By coming back to him again and again and again, even when I screw up. Not by parking my tent east of Bethel, but by going in and being in his presence. How? How do I learn? By doing and by living his way. I'm going to jump forward to chapter 22 and we're going to come into land here, start our descent here. For those of you that have cottoned on to the fact that coming into land doesn't happen very quickly. Um, so <laughs> so, um, so um, chapter 22, a whole load of stuff happen- happens in Abraham's life. Okay, And you'll read about all of that over the next kind of few days. Whole loads of stuff happens. Incredible stuff. And, and he gets tested again and again and different things happen. And there's all this kind of, is he going to trust God? Isn't he going to trust God? What does he do? How does he do it? Who does, who does he put his trust in? And then we get to this story. And it's a story that probably most of us know so well. It's a story uh, where God calls Abram, or now he's called Abraham by this point, calls Abraham to take his son, his only son, Isaac, and to offer him as a sacrifice to God. Now, for most of us, we're like, that is barbaric. (sighs) Wow. What do you do with that? What's going on there? But here's the thing. There are lots of of different interpretations about this. And if you want to pop a question about it in the box, maybe we'll chat about some more of those uh, at the end of this month. But for the sake of today, I just want to bring one thing out for you. Uh, Here's the thing with this story. In order to understand this story, we need to understand the culture and the time into which it is written. It's no good us reading this story with modern Western eyes. We need to understand that this story took place in the ancient Near East. And we need to understand some things about their culture to make sense of it. And the first thing that you need to understand is this. All the peoples had different gods. There were many of them, all these different spiritual beings over this tribe, this tribe, that tribe. There's all these different spiritual authorities that they called the gods. And and the thing is, is that within that culture, most of the time, the gods were considered to be tyrants. Okay, that's what they were like. You want my blessing? Well, I want your crop. You want my favor? Well, I want your firstborn child. And it would get more and more and more. And the gods would be asking for all these things. I want your firstborn child. And so it was quite normal in that time for the gods to request for you to sacrifice your firstborn child or your, your, your son. And so when God says to Abram, hey, Abram, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to sacrifice him on the mountain that I will show you. Isn't it weird that Abram just never kind of questions it? Why God? He just doesn't. Because it's perfectly normal in that culture for the gods to ask for people to do that. So when God says, this is what I want you to do, Abraham's like, okay then, off we go. And he takes his son, Isaac, to go and sacrifice him. But here's the thing. All the journeying that Abraham has done, okay, all the stepping out, the doing, the living, the hearing God speak and the responding, all of that that he has done has changed him. And now we discover that Abraham has learned something about his God. Cast your eyes down to verse five. Abraham is with his servants and with Isaac and he says to his servants this, he says, 
Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Listen to this. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Did you check that? You see, God's just called Abraham or Abraham to go and offer Isaac as a sacrifice. But if you go back to chapter 21, verse 12, what you discover there is that the same God has told Abraham that his son Isaac will be, uh, it will be through him that his offspring uh, uh, comes. So God has already made a promise to Abraham that Isaac will be the father of the offspring of Abraham. Okay. Now at this point, Isaac's probably a young teenager and uh, he has no offspring. And Abraham, he's like, this is a really difficult situation. What does he do? This time, he remembers the word of God. He remembers the word of God. And he's like, okay, I know that God has promised me that my descendants will come through Isaac. And so he turns to his servants and he says, wait here. Me and the boy, we're going over there to worship and we will come back to you. This time, he puts his trust in God. He doesn't run to his servants and say, help me, God wants me to do this. Give me something else to sacrifice instead. He doesn't go and kind of run in the opposite direction. He walks right towards the Lord, trusting in his word. Ah, oh, we could learn from that. We need to know the word of God to learn it so that we can trust in it when difficult things happen. And so he takes his son, his only son, up to the mountain where God shows him and he puts him uh, out on this altar that he's built to sacrifice him and he picks up the flint knife and he's just about to do it. And just as he's about to do it, the angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, steps in and says, Abraham, no, wait, wait, don't do that. Don't do that. And he provides an offering instead of the son Isaac. Why does God do this? Two reasons. He wants us to learn one, who he is, okay? And two, that he's not like the other gods. Do you see this? Firstly, Abraham, do you trust me? Learn that, have you learned that I am trustworthy? Secondly, right at the last moment, he steps in. And he says, Abraham, you're right. You will go back with the boy and meet your servants. I am not like the other gods. I do not want you to sacrifice your child. I will provide. This is about what I am doing, not what you are doing. And all you need to do is trust in me. How incredible is that? How amazing is that? Our God is not like the other gods. And so often I think that we start to think that our God is like the world. He's like, he's like the other gods. Maybe he's a little bit like Allah. Maybe he's a little bit like Buddha. Or maybe he's a little bit like, you know, kind of just the niceness that people who don't have a religious faith think that the world works, you know, that kind of thing. But he's not. He's not like the other gods. He isn't anything like them. He's different. Oh, wow. What a God he is. So, how do we learn what does all of this say to us today? Maybe some, some of these things have spoken to you as you're going along. But let me just wrap up then. Wheels are touching down on the runway. Here we go. All right. Um, let me just wrap up then by saying this. How do we learn? Well, first of all, we need to be with him. So let me encourage you, spend time every day reading the word, listening to him speak, so that when the difficult things happen, you have heard his voice and you know his promises. Secondly, we learn by doing what he tells us to, by doing what he did, okay? We learn by doing. 
So actually, we need to start doing things. We call these things spiritual practices um, or means of grace is a way that I like to talk about them. Okay, heard that used. It is a thing that we do in which we discover the grace of God, a spiritual practice. And there are loads of them. There are loads. Um, fasting, not one of my favorite ones, but from time to time, I like to engage. Um, but fasting, where well, we decide not to eat. And we, we pray and we put our trust in God. I, I had a mentor once who he would fast on the first Monday of every month. So every month, once a month he fasted. Because it wasn't about just some big prayer thing for him. It was about a regular habit of learning to trust God and know that God was his all in all. Love that. I haven't quite got there yet, but maybe one day. Um, fasting. Sabbath. Stopping and resting. Emily and I are just embarking on this new journey with Sabbath. We're on a Friday night. Um, we, we just want to kind of put our phones on mute. We want to get together. We, we light a candle together. We read the scripture together. And then we just thank God for the, the things that we have seen him do that week. And we just commit the next 24 hours to him and invite his spirit in. And then we just, we eat together. And we want to go on this journey of just being in his presence and resting and enjoying life and Sabbathing. It's something that we're figuring out. We haven't mastered yet. But we want to start developing this habit because we want to start being with him and learning from him. It's something that Jesus does. It's something that we're called to do. Well, what might we learn about who he is as we do the things he calls us to do? Tithing. Oh, this is one we don't like to talk about. And I don't think there have been many sermons on it, but I promise you one day, maybe later this year, I'll do a sermon on it, okay? Uh, <laughs> because it's awkward, isn't it? Oh, he's going to talk about money. What? The church wants your money. That is not what tithing is about. It's not about that. Tithing is a spiritual practice in which we learn to trust God. It is a spiritual practice. It doesn't matter whether you've got a lot of money or a little money. It's about saying, God, you are the Lord of my money. And I don't know what that looks like. So I'm going to give some to you and, and, and start to discover what happens. I love this. In Deuteronomy um, chapter 14, it talks about tithing. And it says, hey, that the purpose of tithing is to learn reverence for the Lord. Wow. Did you ever think that's what tithing was about? It's something that teaches us reverence for God. It's not about collecting money for charity. If that's what you think tithing is, it isn't. And I want to I wanna encourage you to maybe stop, rethink, pray, and then recommit to how you do that. And maybe that's going to screw my pay over next month. But hey, I'd rather that you did that and that you trusted God and you learned what he was wanting to teach you. Yeah, it isn't about us collecting money. It's about our relationship with Jesus. Um, there are loads of others. Forgiving loving, healing the sick, uh, feeding the hungry, preaching the good news, care for the poor, prayer, meditating on the scriptures, baptism, lifting your hands in worship. This is something that some of us are awkward and feel uncomfortable with, right? Do you know the Bible commands it? Lift your hands in praise to the Lord. There's a command in the scriptures. I wonder what would happen if I actually did it. I might discover freedom in the spirit of the Lord. I might discover to only see myself as he sees me and not worry about what the people around me think. So many things we learn when we start to do the things that he did. Silence, maybe one I'm not so good at. Silence and fasting, my top two that I need to work on. Um, so, <laughs> but silence, Jesus got away in quiet to be with God. Sometimes we want to pour out our prayers to God, don't we? And then we wonder why he hasn't answered them. Did you stop for a moment to listen to what he was saying? I wonder. I'm, I'm literally going to stop now, but I want to ask you this question. What holy habits do you have or could you have in your life to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus? Because that's what this is all about. We want to grow as disciples. So I wonder today, 
What areas do you need to start trusting him in? What areas uh, do you need to start stepping out in faith in? What holy habits do you need to start putting into your life? And it's not because it's religion. It's because it's relationship. Because these are things, they are gifts that he has given us so that we might discover more of his beauty, more of his love, more of his joy and his peace and his presence and his hope in our lives.